Uma papaixotavi Yankashti tumenchunu Alumes papaixotan Bello Yankashti tumenchunu Pati Hetzle Pati Inwa Hetzle ちゃかとちゃんとこ。はあ、べよ。今こくてかしょ。パスタウラティオ。ファイナティック。サーキ。タン。カクサーキ。レティオブサイアティオブレイド。タウラ。さあ、キロ。ベルコハネオ。レレラ、クヨクティクスタ。レレラ、ちょっかん。クスクンタ。ウェタンナキラクスタ。テネマーテンチセスウティアンウイラチサクリ。ホストポクシエカ。Well, that's the uh, start of Mel Gibson's last movie, Apocalypto. Apocalypto is actually a Greek word. It's also a biblical word. It means uh, to reveal. I kept thinking about that clip all last week after Didi and Randy shared about our budget and gave their presentation. And I need to say that our uh, budget problems are hardly apocalyptic. In fact, I think we're just going to be fine. Just need to trim some spending, increase our giving a bit, or, or we'll run out of cash in the summer. But Didi and Randy concluded by saying this. They said, let's take a fast from fear. And then Wednesday, a real crisis hit. The quake hit Haiti. And I kept thinking about that clip in Apocalypto, Revelation. In that scene, Jaguar Paw, his father and the tribe, they're out hunting in the forest, a forest reminiscent of Eden, when they encounter a group of people fleeing from devastation at the hands of the Mayan Empire. My daughter says it's the Aztec Empire, but in the movie, I think it's the Mayan Empire. Well, on the way back to the village, the Father stops Jaguar Paw, his son, and he says, what did you see on their faces? Fear. Deep, rotting fear. Fear is a sickness. It will crawl into the soul of anyone who engages it. It has tainted your peace already. Strike it from your heart. Do not bring it into the village. Sometimes I, th I think I've brought it into the village. And I don't want us to bring it into the village. Fear is a prison that travels with you. In the movie clip, the people in the, in, in the woods are running from devastation, and yet they carry the devastation with them in their hearts through fear. They sought a new beginning, but they carried with them a prison from their past called fear. John, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he, he writes, fear has to do with punishment, or more accurately in the Greek, fear has 
punishment. Fear contains punishment in itself. In the most respected dictionary of New Testament theology, Kittle's Dictionary of New Testament Theology, Jay Schneider writes this. This means that the man who lives in fear before God is already punished by this fear. His fear is punishment. The thought may be linked to John chapter 3, verse 18, he writes, and we're going to Read that in a little bit. John 3.18 states that the unbeliever is condemned already. That is trapped in a prison of fear already. Fear paralyzes the heart, traps you in yourself, and it keeps you from living now. Because you're stuck in the past or worried about the future. Keeps you from living now and even motivates the self to self-destruction and all manner of evil. When I was a youth pastor 25 years ago, at the end of most every youth meeting, all the guys would stick around and just engage in rampant wedgie wars. The goal in in one of those wedgie wars was to grab another's guy's underwear, you know, by the back and just wedgie them and, but just rip it right up over their head and off of their body, clean off of their body and then take their strap and make it into a headband just like Johnny Rambo. <laughs> I know, I should probably be in prison. But, but I remember this one night, this one night, a wedgie war broke out in the back of the church van and Brendan Bluestein, this hilarious a Jewish kid that had come to our youth group. By the way, he's now a Christian therapist in Iraq, and I think this may have something to do with it, but <laughs> Brennan Bluestein, I remember looking at Brennan because he's sitting in the back of the van. The wedgie war had just kind of broke out, and all of a sudden, Brennan just starts going, ah, ah, he starts screaming, and he, he grabbed his own underwear, and he, he wedgied himself, and he ripped it right off over his head, ripped it off of his body so that nobody else could do it to him. You see... What I'm saying is fear does that to you. That's what fear does. Over the years, I've counseled with several folks that are tempted to suicide. And I'm always amazed to discover that almost every time we're tempted to kill ourselves because we're so afraid to die. Isn't that amazing? Like the fear of death is worse than death, so we just seize control and make it happen. Scripture says that Satan keeps us in lifelong bondage through the fear of death. Well, you know, you can't kill yourself with yourself because it's just more self. You try and you sink deeper into a prison of fear that is yourself, the prison of self. In 1972, Soichi Yokai emerged from a cave in a remote area of Guam. He'd been there since 1944. He emerged in 1972. He'd been there since 1944, living on frogs, rats, and vermin. He only came out at night for fear of the Americans. He was Japanese. 28 years he lived in that dark hellhole. And for 27 years, the war had been over. Isaiah 40, verse 2, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. Well, if you didn't get that good news, Jerusalem, you'd be trapped in a prison of fear like Soichi Yokai, war over, forgiven, redeemed, and yet still imprisoned in darkness by fear, fear. This world runs on fear. You know, I think we're all terrorists. We all fight terror with terror, if we're really honest. This world runs on threats, runs on fear, governments, institutions, families, relationships, covetousness, lust, greed, jealousy, rage. I think they're all a form of fear The world runs on fear. We run on fear. Fear of not getting what we want. Fear of losing what we have. Fear of not measuring up. 
Fear of not surviving. We even say life is the survival of the fittest. It's fear. This world runs on fear. In fact, I think many, probably most people on an unconscious level, an unexamined level, think that fear is the only motive that there is. And so if they weren't motivated by fear, they wouldn't be motivated at all. Maybe my greatest fear is the loss of fear. Because the loss of all fear feels like the loss of me. Because <laughs> I mean, really, who am I without my fear? Would I ever write a sermon again if I wasn't afraid? Afraid of what would happen if I didn't? Y'all show up and think I was a moron. Fear. Fear for me, and fear is me, hiding in trees like Adam and Eve, a prison of fear. You know, they, they listened to the snake and they let fear into the village, all because they lacked faith in God, that he would make them in his image. Scripture says, apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. Richard Rohr writes this, the greatest enemy of faith is, is not doubt. That's an absurd idea of the 20th century. The greatest enemy of faith is not doubt. The greatest enemy of faith is fear. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, the opposite of sin is not virtue. The opposite of sin is not virtue, but faith. And so you see, I think the opposite of faith really is fear. And so fear is sin or very, very, very close to sin. 366 times in Scripture, uh, one for every day plus leap year. 366 times in Scripture it says, fear not, fear not. But now I, I, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but there are also places where it says, fear God. And a few places where it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and that's true. But maybe it's the beginning of wisdom because all we are is fear, so that's all God has to work with in the beginning. For John, and at least the way he uses the word fear, fear is faithlessness, and God is in the business of casting it out. Casting it out. But now, now here's a hard question. How do you cast out fear? More fear? Maybe you can get someone's attention with fear, but you need something else to cast it out. So it's like God our Father says, hey, you little bundles of fear down there, fearing everything. I'll tell you who to fear. Fear me, fear me, fear me. Only me, fear only me. And if you must sin, sin against me, fear me, see me, and now I have something to show you. A revelation. Well, anyway, what I'm saying is you can't, uh, you can't cast out fear with fear. In other words, you can't escape from hell with fear. In other words, you can't build faith with fear. How could fear of fear make you less afraid? I think that's why the father says to his son in the movie, fear will crawl into the soul of anyone that engages it. For to fight fear with fear is just more fear. Someone sent me an actual uh, church bulletin announcement. You know, you've seen those things. I guess this was really in a church bulletin. It read like this. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> For 2,000 years, especially since the fourth century when the church was conscripted by the Roman Empire, I think the institutional church has tried to build faith with fear. And so the good news has become a threat. Do this or else. Euangelion, where we get the term evangelical, you know what that means? It means good news. Yet most people don't think, hey, good news, here come those evangelicals. <laughs> What's something going to bring us good news? Not normally. 
People no longer see John 3.16, I'm afraid, as good news, but a threat. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I don't think they see it as good news because we evangelicals then come along and say, so you better believe. You, you better trust. You better trust his love for you because if you do trust his love for you, heaven is your reward. But if you don't trust his love for you, he'll torture you forever without end because he really doesn't love you because you didn't really believe that he does love you. A test. Like we're saying, so if you're, if you're smart enough, if you're good enough, you'll pass the test and you'll choose to believe. But if not, you'll forever die. Good news, euangelion, we proclaim a test. Well anyway, when I was a kid, the proclamation of a test like that never came as good news. It always filled me with fear. Well in John chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night yeah, see, I, I th think he's afraid. He's afraid for himself. He's afraid for himself before God. He's afraid of God. He, he's, he's a Pharisee. And uh, the Pharisees knew there, there's a test. If anyone worked hard enough to pass it, it would have been one of them. Let me say they worked hard at faith. They knew Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. They knew that if you trust someone, you will obey that someone. There's no conflict between faith and works. If you trust someone, you will obey them. You'll take their advice and do what they say if you trust them. So they were desperately trying to trust and obey, desperately, in fear. John chapter three, verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When my firstborn was born, I was filled with so many wild thoughts and, and feelings. I told you some last week, one of which was, dang, um, getting born must really be terrifying. Uh, getting born, uh, like we talked about last week, is really facing your fears, the death of all you trust and the birth of a, of a new trust. Yet, after Jonathan was cleaned up, calmed down, lying in my arms, I remember I had this other feeling, jealousy. I remember thinking, golly, I, I wish that I could be like born again. Wow, what if I was born again? I mean, what if I was born when I'm old? At the time I was 27. So if I was born when I was 27, I'd have like a 27 year jump on all my competition, you know what I mean? It's like I'd totally ace first grade. I wouldn't let the bullies at the bus stop get me down. I'd get them down. I'd be a much more impressive me. At 27 years old, instead of in 27 years of me, there'd be 54 years of me in a 27-year-old body. So instead of impressing junior high girls, for instance, in junior high with burps, I'd, I'd be mature enough to impress them with poetry. Instead of uh, uh, crude and unrefined arrogance, I'd develop a sophisticated and subtle form of pride. Instead of little lifting weights and acting cool to cover my insecurities and fears, I could preach sermons that would make people cry. I, I could cover my fears with good deeds seen by men. I could avoid mistakes and make a much more magnificent me, have a much better shot at passing life's test and getting me into God's kingdom for certainly God would be impressed with a much more magnificent me, me. But you see, what if the trouble with me is me? And I wouldn't need more me. I'd need less me. If me is really this prison of fear, the more I justified me, defended me, fortified me, the more I just condemn me and build my own prison of fear. 
I, I, don't, I don't need reincarnation. I need a new me. And me can't create a new me, especially with more me. If the trouble with me is me, simply being born again, born when I'm old, would only make things worse, make me worse. Well, Jesus didn't actually say born again, like we said last time. He said born anothen, born from above. And he actually didn't even say born from above. He said ganao anothen, uh, begotten from above. Like we said last time, a believer has been begotten again and is waiting to be born. Begotten from above, not more of me, but something else, maybe even someone else. Begotten in me, growing in me, about to be born as me, a new me, the real me, an eternal me. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mom's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's, it's another thing. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Born anew, begotten anew, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born, begotten of the spirit. But he said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. You know, in scripture, flesh is so much more than just physicality. Jesus rises from the dead in his spiritual body and he eats fish with the guys, okay? So it's not simply physicality, and yet I think there is a principle inherent in my physical body that, 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 is, that is the flesh. The problem isn't that my flesh feels pain. The problem is that my flesh only feels its own pain. The problem isn't that my flesh feels pleasure. The problem is that my flesh only feels its own pleasure. The problem isn't that my flesh enjoys pizza. The problem is that my flesh only enjoys its own pizza in a world that starves. My flesh is a prison unto itself. It's the me that I make with me. And me only gives birth to more me, a prison of me. And to be honest, all of my fears are about me. Losing me, damage to me. Even, even my fears for others, because I know you think, oh yeah, well I fear for others, you know, but, but even my fears for others are, are really about me. I'm afraid that me can't save them. For I assume that me is the savior. Me is my fragile ego, my pride, my flesh, my old man. All my fears are about me, and yet all my troubles are me. And because I'm so afraid to lose me, I try to save me with me. In other words, with fear, I try to have faith. But that faith is fear. With sin, I try to be righteous. But that righteousness is sin. What's born of the flesh is flesh. And what's born of the spirit is spirit. I, I can kind of like control the flesh, but I can't control the spirit. The spirit blows where it wills. But when that spirit cries, Abba, Father, in me, it's faith, hope, and love in me. It's the spirit of God begotten in me. It's the only begotten, the only begotten, begotten in me. Faith begotten in the land of fear. Well, Nicodemus said to him, well, yeah, okay, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel 
and yet you do not understand these things and how they can be. And if you're asking how can they be, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And... How can these things be? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, eonios life, life of the age, that means literally, life of God's age, the promised rest, God's land. But talk about weird, freaky weird stories. Jesus refers to an incident that happened to the Israelites on the way to the promised land, their promised land in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites are filled with fear, fear that they might die. Their fear is faith in themselves. That's the flesh. So they complain to themselves, to their flesh, about God. You know, God seems to be fine when you complain to him, to him about him, when you complain about him to him, speak your fears to him, but when we complain to ourselves, we make a prison of ourselves and hide our hearts in darkness. Well, in Numbers 21, God sends snakes into that darkness and they bite the Israelites right in their unfaithfulness, right in their fear. They bite them right in their flesh. You know, when you think about it, fear is like faith in the evil one. And John says the whole world is under the power of the evil one. And the evil one is a snake. Our fears make a sanctuary for snakes. Faithlessness is the abode of snakes and demons In my experience, God will let them bite in order to chase us from the darkness and into the light. He sent snakes. And then the people came to Moses, surrendered their sins, surrendered themselves and cried out, save us, save us! And then God had Moses make a bronze serpent and lift it up on a pole. And then all the people had to do was look at it, and they were healed. Healed not just of snake bites, but their faithless fear. That was the issue, faithless fear. And you see, their greatest fear was not snakes, their greatest fear was God. Fear that God isn't good, and fear that he doesn't really conquer. So God used snakes to smoke them out, to smoke out those little bundles of fear. He used little fears to reveal the greatest fear, the judgment of God. It's like God said, hey, you little bundles of fear, fear me, fear me, see me, for now I have something to show you, a revelation. God made them face their fears, and then he gave them faith. They didn't have to say anything didn't have to do anything, didn't have to accomplish anything, didn't have to pass anything, didn't have to achieve anything. They only had to see it, and they lived. You see, it wasn't a test the way we think of that word test. Not a test, a revelation, an apocalypse at just the right time and it set them free. In the same way, says Jesus, the Son of Man must be lifted up. You know, according to scripture, this entire world is snake bit and dying. And we're snake bit because we trusted the snake and trusted ourselves, tried to save ourselves, make ourselves, and justify ourselves. And so Adam and Eve took the fruit, hid themselves in fear, they hid themselves in the trees, with the snake. 
The problem is faithlessness, which is fear, fear for me. So God allows the snakes to bite me in my me, my old me, my flesh. Snakes like addiction, uh, afflictions, demons, sins. He even sends them that we cry out, Yeshua, God save, Jesus. And then and there, he gives the revelation. The revelation. You know, you know the apocalypse is not snakes. Check it out in scripture. The apocalypse is not the end of the world. The apocalypse is him. His heart lifted up for me and for all to see. Maybe Jesus Christ and him crucified is not a test to see if we could believe as if God doesn't know. Maybe Jesus Christ and him crucified is not a test to see if we could believe, but a revelation so that we would believe. Not a test to fill us with fear, but a test that burns away fear and purifies faith like fire burns away dross and purifies gold. A revelation, an unveiling, an apocalypse of faith in the midst of fear. In the movie Apocalypto, this is the revelation, the apocalypse, that fills Jaguar Paw with faith. Faith which conquers the Mayan empire and makes a new beginning. This is... Celavais. And then he watches his father bear his worst fears. He watches his father bear his hell and die in faith. Do you see that's just a distant shadow of the revelation that is given to you in this fallen world? You do understand it's a fallen world, right? That means that there was a test, but we already failed the test long ago in a garden. We failed the test because we lacked faith. And I suspect that we never had it. We failed the test, so we're already snake bit and dying. And yet, with this fallen world full of snakes, God smokes us out of our hiding place into his presence, saying, Hey, you little bundles of fear, fear me, fear me, fear me. Look at me. Now, at the right time, I have something to show you. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the creator. Lifted on a cross, we watch him bear our fears and die in faith. We, we face our fears, for he bears our fears. The snake hid in our darkness, and when it bit us, it bit him. When I, when I look to the cross, I see me. My old me. Dying in him, I see me and receive the revelation of him. The apocalypse. The apocalypse. The revelation, God is love. Furious love, relentless love, suffering love, unquenchable love, perfect love. And that casts out fear. So you see, Jesus is not the snake, right? Yet he was snake bit for us. 
He who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. When I really see him, perfect love, fear dies. Because we feared him, we crucified him. But when we crucified him, he cast out fear. The creator, sustainer, the all-powerful, my father, is perfect love. Fear is the beginning of wisdom, but Jesus is wisdom. The death of fear, my old me. He is the revelation of perfect love. 1 John 4, 17, John writes this, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, the day I stand before him. He says, this is what, so you can stand before him in confidence. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I, man, I think that's really where the heart of my fear lies because uh, as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In other words, God casts out fear. God casts out that old me that I thought was me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Fearless love is the image of God. And you see, the death of that old me is the birth of he. Jesus in me, the new me, begotten in the midst of the old me, the life of God in me. And now listen to the next verse in John. John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world, the world, doesn't say some of the world, he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so you see, if you are begotten from above, it's only because the only begotten is begotten within you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes pesteo, trusts in him, should not perish. In Greek, literally be perished or be lost, but have eternal life, eonios life, his life, his age, God's age, God's kingdom. God gave his only begotten son not to see if we could believe. God gave his only begotten son so that we would believe. And do you understand eternal life is not the reward for believing. Eternal life is believing. Faith is not the requirement for heaven. Faith is, very, is, the, is the, very, the very substance of heaven. And perishing, lostness, is not the penalty for unbelief. It is unbelief. A prison of fear that grows. For God did not send his son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, not judged, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed, trusted in the name of the only begotten son of God, condemned already. Did you know that before you believed you were condemned already? And whatever in you right now does not believe is condemned right now. It's called sin, cut it off, get rid of it. John 3, 36, the end of this, this chapter, he writes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, heaven and hell begin in this world, and until you trust the Son, you're under wrath and condemned already. It's not the threat of damnation, it is damnation already. Your prison of fear. And this is the judgment, writes John. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works, that old man, right? Their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. And who's the light? That's God. Whoever does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. You know, whenever I'm afraid, I think I'm guarding works of wickedness. That is my works, my flesh, my old man. You see, my old man is very fragile because he's built with lies. And so I fear for him and I try to defend him. And my greatest fear is God who is light, for I fear that God is the very death of of me, my old man. In other words, my greatest fear is the death of fear, for I think that fear is me. But the truth is that the death of fear is the birth of faith. The death of old me is the birth of new me. Jesus in me. Next verse. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. Wickedness runs from the light. Whatever is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been worked in God, carried out in God, so that it may be clearly seen, it's not me, I'm I'm like a wretch. It's not me, it's he, it's Jesus in me. That work in me, the, the new me, the free me, the not fragile me, the eternal, indestructible, imperishable, and always good, Me. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you might be begotten from above. That's not a threat or a test to fill you with fear. That's the revelation of God to drive out fear and fill you with faith. That's the proclamation of the gospel, the good news, euangelion, that God so loved, he gave himself. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. His body, his blood given to you. And get this. According to scripture, he subjected all creation to futility. He consigned all men to disobedience. He even subjected us to snake bites in order that one day at the right time his children would see this. Perfect love that casts out fear and gives birth to faith. Gives birth to new men, new women, in the very image of God. Nicodemus came by night. And yet you see, Jesus had already descended into Nicodemus's night of fear. Nicodemus couldn't see. And then he could see. For in John 19, it's Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea that come, they come in the light like they're not afraid. They come in the light for all to see and they come for the broken body of Jesus. For they see Jesus lifted up on a pole for the sins of the entire world. And it's they, it's they that take the broken body of Jesus and place it in the tomb, their tomb. And so this morning, come to the table and place the broken body of Jesus in your tomb, your prison of fear, 
In other words, surrender your fears and receive his faith. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. They're both the mercy and the love of God for you. Unless you do that, worship. There'll be one station here, one station here, and one station in the back for y'all in the back. Close your eyes. I just want to ask you a question. What are you so afraid of? Maybe it's something in your past that did happen. Maybe it's something that might happen. Maybe it's something that will happen. I bet you're afraid because you're afraid for yourself. And you're afraid in the end of the light, which is God. This place, this dark place, it's the beginning of hell. But you just came to the table of the Lord and you ingested the broken body of Jesus and placed him in your tomb. So he's there with you. Maybe it's a thing in your past, something that you did, and, you, and you, you're scared to death to have it exposed to the light. In faith, look at Jesus. He's there. See those wounds on your body? They're on his body. He came to the darkness to bear your fears and your shame, your sin. Maybe it's something that might be. Worried about what people would think. Fear of being stripped naked and exposed one day. Well, Jesus was stripped naked and exposed. Look at him. Maybe you're afraid for the day you die. Well, look at Jesus. He came to help you die. You see, he's the door. He's the door out of this place. He's the truth. And this place is a lie that has trapped you in darkness. You can do this right now, but maybe in your own prayer life, just, just do this. Say to Jesus, Jesus, I give you this place. I give you this fear. I give you this darkness. I've been defending it, but it's a lie. It's a prison, and you are the door. He bears your fears. And he rises in you with faith. And when you see it, and we're only beginning to see it, so just don't panic if you struggle with this, but because you see it's already happened. It happened 2,000 years ago and before the foundation of the world. But, but when you see it, you're free. Free to love like him in the image of God, the one who loves in freedom. Let's sing.
the darkness flees. Through you, my heart screams, I am free. Yes, I am free. So I am what you call an evangelical. And I hope that you are an evangelical as well. And what that means is that it is not our job to issue threats. And it's not our job to release the snakes. It's our job to announce the apocalypse. It's our job to announce the revelation. It's our job to proclaim the gospel. And that is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son from the bosom of the Father, his very heart, to be begotten in you. And when you see that, It destroys the work of the evil one and makes everything new. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel, what God has done, not what you have done. Amen.